0: appreciate all of you being here this morning. Uh, as you know, a couple weeks ago, for a little while, a Jew had one of her friends from Brazil, and she was here, Haquel. And uh, this morning, we have Mike and Itachi, who are with us, and they've been here several times, uh, you know, in the past, students at Harding, and, and uh, we're going to have an extended relationship with them. We'll talk about that uh, at a later date. But... Also, at this time, we are excited because uh, Tachi's mother, Mata, is here uh, from Brazil. And then one of, there she go, and Tachi's longtime friend, I'm not going to get this right exactly, but Marlusa is here all the way from Brazil. So we are thankful that they are here with us this morning. And even though they are here and we're excited about having them and they've come a long way, they are still not the most special guest that Mike and Tachi brought this morning because they brought Joanna back there. There she is. She just got her diaper changed, so she's all good. She will sleep through the sermon like 90% of you. So... You know, we uh, we totally uh, understand that, but uh, we are glad to have all of them uh, here with us. And kind of along with that is a reminder that at five o'clock this afternoon, uh, those interested in going to Brazil this summer, uh, we'll have our first informational meeting at five o'clock. This is not the commitment meeting. This is an information time. So if you're just slightly interested or whatever, Come, we'll get some information, and then uh, a little while later it'll be time to you know actually commit to that. But if you want some information, be here at uh, five o'clock this afternoon. We've been looking at the book of First John for quite some time, and and one of the things we noticed about the book of First John is we do not have to worry about wondering why John wrote the book. John tells us very specifically four different times why he writes the book in chapter one and verse four. He says, we write this to make our joys complete. Go ahead, Jamie. And then in chapter two and verse one, he says, my children, my dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. And then over again in chapter two and verse 26, he says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And we'll be talking about that this morning. And then in chapter five and verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. And so we looked as we kind of did a cursory study through first John. We see that number one, John says that doctrine matters. We live in a time and in a world in which absolutes and laws and doctrine and things like that don't matter. Uh, everything is kind of depending on the situation or, or whatever. And even in religion, there are many who say, well, it doesn't really matter what you believe just as long as you believe. And John comes along in this book and specifically what we're going to be talking about this morning. He's very clear. Oh yes, it does matter what you believe. You cannot just believe anything. You have to believe those things that God has taught us. And then he goes on and he says that holiness matters. And one of the reasons that doctrine matters is because if we get the wrong doctrine, that often leads to the wrong lifestyle. If we don't believe what God says about something, then that could lead us to live our lives, live, thank you, our lives in a way that is contrary to God's will. And then he comes along and he says that love matters. And very clearly, on into the book, he talks about how that our love for each other matters. In fact, we can't love God if we don't love each other. And then at the very end, he says that confidence matters. He says we ought to have joy in the one and four We talked about why he wrote. And then in chapter five, he says, you ought to have confidence. I write this thing that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things that your joy may be complete. What kind of joy are we going to have in our lives? What kind of confidence are we going to have in our lives? If we live our lives wondering minute by minute, day by day, whether or not we're saved. Whether or not we have fellowship with God. And John comes along and says, you can, not only can, but you should know. Now, that knowledge has to be based on facts from God that knowledge has to be based on faith that knowledge has to be based on the doctrine that we believe and so he's been talking about that we talked about having fellowship with God and with each other knowing God means obeying and walking as Christ walked and a couple weeks ago we talked about not loving the world this morning we focus on John's reaction to the false teachers that were trying to lead the believers astray. As we've seen, John makes it clear that doctrine is important and that what we believe is important. And here he tells us that there is false teaching and that there is, and that this false teaching is destructive to the church and to individuals, us as individuals as well. He warns that false teaching and believing false teaching threatens our salvation, so that makes doctrine pretty important, doesn 't it? If it has to do with our salvation, that makes it pretty important. in these verses, John describes these false teachers we 've already seen a glimpse of it here and there, but look at beginning in first John chapter two and beginning in verse 18, if you have your Bibles. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. They went out, that's how you know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have not, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I'm not right to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Is this cutting out? Probably about dead. We'll go, we'll do it this way then. Hang on, let me get unhooked. Better. All right, I don't know where we were. We're going to go back to verse twenty. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. See that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, even eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you... The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So, John brings up two very interesting topics in this section. And if you've been reading along and you've been reading 1 John every week like I know every one of you has, you haven't missed a week. I imagine that this this there's a, there's a couple things here in this section that make you go, "Huh?" And one of those is right at the very beginning where he says, "Dear children, this is the last hour." Ooh. What does John mean by this is the last Hour. Well, I believe, and we're not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning because we're going to move along. I believe that the last hour simply refers to the time before Jesus coming. That is the last hour from the time of Jesus ascension. You remember that Jesus is going into heaven. And the apostles are there watching him. And you can just see them straining as he's going up and up and up and up. Can can you see? I can still see him. Can you? Yeah, I can still see him. Probably long after none of them could see him anymore. And they're staring up as he goes up into heaven. And then the men in white come. And they say, why are you looking up there in heaven? He's going to come back the same way he just left. You need to go about and do what he told you to do. And ever since that time, the church has been waiting for Jesus' return. That's what we all long for. That's what we all hope for. Last week, Mark talked about heaven. We wait for that time when Jesus is coming and returning to take us to be home in that place that He has prepared for us. It was the last hour in John's day. It's the last hour. Jesus is coming. Any minute could be. And we've talked about this before, but the, the early church was much more anticipatory. Is that a word? It, it is now. They seriously were anticipating Jesus' return. Any minute. It was the last hour. Well, it turns out That the last hour has lasted a little over 2,000 years and may last for however long more. I don't know. The readers of John's letter were in the last hour. Guess what? You're in the last hour. I'm in the last hour. All Christians between us have been in the last hour. All Christians beyond us will be in the last hour until that time that Jesus Christ returns to take us to be home with him. So that's the last hour question. Then we have that question of the Antichrist. Ooh, You realize only John uses that term in the New Testament. In this letter, and in the second and third John, he uses this term. Is the only How many of you have, you know, been confused over the years about the Antichrist? How many of you have heard all kinds of theories and suppositions and all kinds of conspiracies about who the Antichrist is? What the Antichrist... You know what? It's gone on from the very beginning. From the very beginning, those there were those who thought that the Antichrist was the Roman emperor... Who set himself against Christianity. Or the whole of the Roman Empire. During World War II. Some of you are old enough to remember this. I know it from history. I wasn't there. But it was Hitler. Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. Coming out of World War II. I actually heard sermons. Talking about the Soviet Union. Being the Antichrist. And whether it was Stalin or Brezhnev or whoever. You know the Antichrist. I heard sermons that said that the Pope. Was the Antichrist. And in much newer history. Saddam Hussein. Osama bin Laden. Or Islam in general. Is the Antichrist. And the thing about the Antichrist. That term is. Is it depending on wherever you are in history. You can find somebody that's going to fit that. I mean. if, if, If you want to. But. Here John. Clearly. Defines the Antichrist. In these passages. We don't have to go any further. One of the very first things I learned in Bible college when I was at Harding, again, is that the Bible is its own best commentary. Oh, wow. <laughs> what? If you don't understand a passage, read the verse above it, read the verse below it. It's probably going to explain it. So the first thing we're going to look at this morning is who are the Antichrists? First John tells us that there are many. Isn't that the very first thing he says in verse 18? Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So John clearly tells us from the very beginning that the Antichrist is not a single person or a single entity. There's many Antichrists out there. And John's readers would have known specifically, I think, whom he was speaking of even though he didn't necessarily call them by name, but he will in a minute. And then as the word suggests, the antichrist, antichrist, right? I mean, really, when we think about it, it's not that difficult to figure out who they are and what they believe or whatever. John tells us that the antichrists are simply those who deny or are against Jesus Christ. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar? Now, the liar is the Antichrist people, right? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. And whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, in John's day, that would have included any non-believers that opposed Christianity in general. Could the Antichrist have been the Roman Emperor? Well, absolutely. Sure. One of the Antichrists would have been the Roman Emperor who rained down all kinds of, you know, terror and and persecution on the church. What about the Roman government in general? Sure. Absolutely. What about just every ordinary, everyday, ordinary non-believing heathens, pagans in the world who didn't believe a word of this weird Jewish cult sect thing and that Jesus Christ was just a fraud or a figment of somebody's imagination. They're the Antichrist too. They're the Antichrist too. So there would have been lots of non-believing antichrist in the world in which John was talking about. They were all over the place. But a little more specifically here, John is talking about, uh, and Mark, quote unquote, is the term you were looking for last week. Uh, he was talking, he, he's more specifically talking about quote unquote believers. Who have gone off the doctrine rail. That's specifically who he is talking about. And it is those people that we've talked about from the very beginning in our introduction. Who believe that Jesus was not either human, flesh and blood. Or divine, the son of God. They denied one or the other. And John says that is the liar. That is the antichrist. The ones who are teaching you, the ones who are trying to get you to believe that Jesus was not God in flesh. That person is the antichrist. That person is the one who is against God. In John's day, it could have been all those different things. And remember that this wrong doctrine led to wrong behavior. We've talked about this ever since we've been in there. The reason they believe this and taught this is is because they wanted to show that there was a total separation between the physical and spiritual. And since they're... All flesh, physicalness, anything of the earth is bad, 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 sinful, sinful, sinful. And everything spiritual from God is good, 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 good. The two cannot mesh. Therefore, there is no way that God could live in a sinful human body. Because those things are separate. Now, that makes for a convenient doctrine... When we want to live our lives any way we want to live them. I want to continue as a pagan who has come in from from the pagan world. Who has come out of a world of extreme sexual indulgence. And I want to continue in that. Well then believing that there is no connection between what I do in the physical body. And my spiritual relationship with God. Well, that makes that easy. I can do whatever I want to because that doesn't affect my relationship with God. And so this wrong doctrine led to wrong lifestyle. Today, I believe there are many antichrists in the world. There are those, just like in John's day, who are non-believers. Those who are either against openly Christianity, the Bible, and Christian beliefs. Or those who may not be openly opposed to it, but just don't care anything about it. Those people in our world today would be called antichrists. Now, there has been such a stigma put on that word that we want it to mean some fire-breathing dragon, you know, whatever. And we probably, being politically correct, would not go out in the world today and stand in the front of brookchers and go, you're a bunch of antichrists. Probably wouldn't be a good thing to do either. But it might be accurate. Because anybody in the world... Who denies Jesus is the son of God. Is an antichrist. Then there are those even within the religious world. Who may teach doctrine that is false to the teachings of the Bible. False to what Jesus taught. False to what the apostles taught. They would be antichrist as well. They are all around us. They were all around the readers of John's letter. And John's concern was, is that they don't infiltrate you. Don't be deceived by them. Don't be led astray by them. Don't be trapped by them. Don't be amazed by them. They're slick words and they're teaching. So that brings us to our second point this morning is what do the Antichrist do? What do they do? John describes the actions of these false teachers. The first thing he says is they withdraw fellowship from the believers. In verse 19 he says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. John says that these false teachers broke from the fellowship of the church. From the fellowship of God's family, the church is God's idea. Its purpose, its mission, and its organization are all ordained by God himself. It's not a man-made institution. It's not something that the apostles came up with. Eh, well, Jesus is gone. Let's, you know. No. The Bible tells us that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. The church is God's idea. It is the body of Christ. It is the temple of God. It is the bride of Christ. It is the family of God. The church is where we are meant to love and to serve and to encourage one another. Separating ourselves from the church puts us and others at risk and in dangers from the schemes and the powers of Satan. We need one another. And the church is important. These false teachers, these antichrists, had pulled away from the body, had pulled away from the church, and had pulled others with them as well through their false teaching. The second thing that the Antichrist do is they deny the faith. The false teachers in John's day used the word knowledge. We've talked about this, the Gnostics and the whole idea, but knowledge was their key word. We have special knowledge. God has given, anointed us with special insight. With special knowledge. Therefore, I'm going to tell you what God wants you to do. Don't worry about what the apostles taught. Don't worry about what God's word says. I have a new anointing. I have a new knowledge. I have some new insight that is better than what you had in the past. Because new is always better, isn't it? No, it's not. And this is how they would reach the people. They were enlightened. They had a special knowledge. This allowed them to ignore either ignore the sound doctrine from the apostles and others. Or expand beyond the inspired teachings. If you can get others to believe that you have a special revelation from God. Or a special understanding, then it is easy to lead them astray, isn't it? You are smart people. You know your Bible. You know God's Word. But if somehow I am able to come along and convince you that I have a special knowledge, That God has blessed me with insight. That God has blessed me with enlightenment beyond what's here in the scripture. If I can convince you of that, then I can lead you astray. And I can get you to do just about anything I want to get you to do. In our society, we call those cults. Cults. Those of us old enough remember David Koresh and Waco, Jimmy Jones, Jim, Jim Jones in, in Guyana and others. And we think to ourselves, how could something like that happen? How could people be led astray so easily? How could people be so gullible, so naive that they would follow somebody all the way to that extent? Easy. They had convinced them that they had special knowledge from God, that they were dependent upon them for understanding and insight into God's will. And what these antichrists, what these false teachers had come in amongst the disciples there that John was writing, they were trying to tell them, I know what you studied, I know what you've been told, I know what you've been taught, but we have something special. We have been enlightened. You need to listen to us. Many in the religious world today claim to have a unique insight Or a new unique understanding into God's will. Which leads us to the third thing they do. They lead God's people astray. One of the express reasons for John's writing the letter. And it may or may not be intentional. But the result is the same. There's no way that clock can be bright. It is. It is. It's right. It's 1135. OK, well, real quick then. First of all, part two next Sunday. Yeah, no, we don't even have time to get into what I was going to no, know. No, OK, we won't do that. Let y'all good for another hour or two. Yeah, some of you are, but some of you not so much. So come back next week and we'll talk about this some more. Mainly, the real important, go ahead and flip to the third one. Because this is really important. How do we protect ourselves from the Antichrist? That's what we're going to get to next week. Okay? That's what we're going to, don't be cheating. Yes, these are the last days. Yes, there are those antichrists who are trying to lead God's people astray. Yes, what we believe matters. And yes, we have the knowledge to defend ourselves. Don't be frightened. Don't be confused. Don't be overwhelmed. Trust God and believe what He says. If you're here this morning, we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.
1: We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas. 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9:30 a.m. for Bible class and 10:30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6:30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.